Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. All right, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown. We again hope that you enjoyed the last couple of episodes that we've brought out with the guests that we've had on with Lexi and Frank Gandecki. Um, oh, who can not enjoy that? They were sick. I know. I mean, and we I, really enjoyed recording them. Yeah, we did. Um, and obviously, like we rec- we enjoy recording every episode with all of our guests, but there's just some that really stick out because of either the content or because of just you know, the guest that comes on just really provides us with so many talking points. Um, yeah. And I we think the last, we just vibe. yeah, we just hold a vibe, man. Um, <laughs> but it's the two of us today and we're going to be digging into quite a big topic, similar to how we, we vibe talking. as well. Yeah, we do vibe. We do vibe. I mean, we're the OGs. So we started this. And <laughs> I don't even, I can't, I think it was at least a couple of episodes we actually before we actually brought on a guest. So hopefully you guys actually enjoy hearing our voices. We'll anyway, see you with the viewing figures. Yeah, yes. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to go into a fairly heavy topic, very similar to the doping and sport episode. Um, and we kind of wanted to really just have a chat. We haven't really prepped anything, um, you know, like notes wise. We just sort of wanted to dig into a topic of, social change in sports and how um you know sports have somewhat intertwined themselves into politics into uh society changes um and even things like religion and so on so forth you know there's a long history of athletes fighting for social change which i'm hoping that we'll do justice of and it's interesting that some sports fans do have a hard time um, understanding why athletes are so socially engaged. And so I'm hoping that in this podcast, we can kind of show you why we think that athletes need to be socially engaged, Um, you know, maybe some more than others. Uh, And, you know, the fact that athletes and their participation in sport, there is an inextricable link between the history of struggle, especially within, um, you know, plenty of different sports, the NFL, for example, even if we pick out um, athletes such as Bill Russell and Jackie Robinson, um, you know, it it goes back to the history of struggle and now it's, it is literally intertwined. Um, Yeah. And, you know, so you sent me a really good, uh, good quote, Connor. Um, Yeah. It was actually a tweet, wasn't it? It was a tweet. Yeah. By Naomi Osaka. Yeah, the, is she a tennis, uh, tennis player? Yeah. She, yeah, Japanese tennis player. And um, she said, yeah, oh, pull it up now. I hate yeah. when random people say athletes shouldn't get involved with politics and just entertain. Firstly, this is a human rights issue. The context of this, by the way, is that she, she was speaking up about, this was in 2020 during the BLM movement and mm-hmm. protests. And she was sort of speaking up in solidarity and in, in support with them. Um, she said, firstly, this is a human rights issue. Secondly, what gives you more right to speak than me? By that logic, if you work at IKEA, you can only talk about the Grundit, mm. <laughs> which I thought was very funny. But um, yeah, I mean, that just, and you know, that got like 19,000 
retweets and like 90,000 likes, you know, that yeah. was pretty far reaching. And, you know, her messages and her kind of her voice uh, in general is pretty, pretty far reaching. And people, I think it goes to show like people pay attention to what top level athletes say. Yeah, for you sure. know, we, we kind of touched on this before with uh, Djokovic, for example, and the whole thing about him not wanting to <clears throat> release his vaccine status and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. like, it just goes to show the size of platform and influence that I think that these people have. Um, so to your point about, you know, them getting involved with or, or like, should they or shouldn't they get involved with with political matters or social matters and things like that like whether they do or not like they've got a massive platform an opportunity to spread these messages um that's obviously not always a good thing you know i mean Mm -hmm. i someone who has a massive platform is kanye west and look at him the last couple of weeks and the madness he's been he's been saying but um I mean, the, yeah, uh, you know, it it goes kind of without saying that, you know, people like, say, Naomi Osaka or like top level athletes with massive audiences have a lot of influence on people. And what they say has kind of power to to influence and engage and, and, and to be a part of what we call, you know, social change. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think, though, before we start going into a couple of examples so that we can sort of bolster our points of, you know, the fact that social change in sport has been a thing, you know, for as long as I can remember, at least. Um, And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, hopefully, in this podcast, two really that stick out for me that that kind of made it apparent that, you know, things like social justice and and sort of standing up for what you believe in, regardless of whether that's wrong or right. You know, obviously people will have different opinions about everything and that's perfectly fine. Um, But we're sort of talking about, I guess, the greater good, you know, the things that will actually have a positive impact on social, um, social, religious, political problems that occur throughout the, throughout the world. Um, so I guess first question, um, really to sort of like kick things into gear is, do you think that that having sports as kind of intertwined as it is um, in social justice is a good or a bad thing? I was, uh, I was hoping you'd tell your stories, but um, <laughs> we, look, I mean, it goes without saying, like we had, we had Tim Harper on, um, I think in one of our quite early episodes, actually. Uh, who was the founder of the sport charity Equity Sport. And he put it, he summed it up really well, I thought. You know, he, the way he put it and the way we see it is, you know, whether we like it or not, sports is political. There are political, social um, elements in sports, like whether we want to get involved with it or not, whether we want to engage with it or not um so i think yeah it is it is a good thing um that uh, because the what's the alternative it, that 
is just that everyone turns a blind eye to the kind of social, political injustices, uh, inequalities, and those components in sports because, you know, we're apparently apolitical and we just entertain or we just do our job without getting involved with any of it. So if that's the alternative, like surely actually speaking up and, and taking some onus in, you know, the direction that we want to go and sticking up for the values that we say we have and things like that, that's surely the better, better option. And that's been shown to be powerful. I mean, um, I can share one of my stories first, if you like, but you know, I, I big rugby fan, big rugby fan since, since I was a kid and obviously played in school and stuff. So, um, and I think I was the first time I sort of heard or read about this was when I was sort of 14, 15. Um, but it was about the, the Springboks, the South African Springboks, um, in 1995 in the world cup that was in South Africa. Um, and more broadly, how Nelson Mandela, who was uh, not long the president of of South Africa, he actually used uh, the Rugby World Cup in South Africa in '95 and used the South African team, the Springboks, to sort of reunite the nation, reunite South Africa. This was, you know, post apartheid, um, which had a uh, yeah needless to say like a massive sort of social and human human rights uh effect on south africa and you know there were the aftermath of that is is we can still see that today you know i mean yeah. but it was it was it was especially pertinent at the time um the sort of racial inequalities um in south africa and things like that and yeah, Mandela wanted to use the rugby and, and the rugby team as a way and opportunity to reunite the nation. Um, yeah. And in many ways, I think he was successful. You know, when I first read about it, it was such an amazing and inspiring story when he worked with, the, he sort of joined forces with the team and with the captain at the time, Francois Pinot. Um, it was it was an all white team bar one black player. And, you know, at the time, the Springboks and rugby was, I just said that in a really thick South African accent, but yeah, rugby was uh, like quite a, a white sport and a white dominated sport in South Africa. And this was largely because of apartheid. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, the white Africans, they, especially people in politics as well, like they used, rugby and the national team as a symbol for for their kind of racial supremacy um and yeah what mandela did basically was sort of join forces with with the with the rugby team and, and got them going out to these communities that were predominantly uh black africans and and around uh, kind of leading up to the world cup and then just gathering support from all South Africans, uh, white and black, mm -hmm. uh, getting them all to support um, the Springboks in the in the World Cup. And, you know, it was, when I first heard of it, it was such a, a fairy tale ending as well, you know, them uh, beating the All Blacks in the finals and 
winning the World Cup on home soil and then seeing pictures and videos of like white kids and black kids next to each other cheering uh, for the same team, which was so important at the time, you know, especially just post-apartheid when there was so much divide and inequality between uh, between the races uh, for them to all come together. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, Francois Pinar actually said in an interview a bit later, he said, when the final whistle blew, this country changed forever. Um, and, you know, 15-year-old me, like, shed a tear, man. I loved it. Um, yeah. And as I guess especially, you know, you, you say that you shed a tear, like, that just proves to you how important sport can be to everyday life. And the fact that without you even realising, someone saying something like that has such a profound impact. You know, you still remember it to this day. You know, you said yeah, that you were 15 yeah. years old. You know, that was, what, 10, 11 years ago, and you still remember it yeah. as clear as day. And it just sticks out in your mind that the fact that, you know, someone who plays sports um, can have such a profound impact on um, the way that we perceive things, the way that we think about things, uh, even changing our opinion on on certain topics. Um and I guess to sort of follow up in that story, um, you know, we sort of briefly spoke about this before about, um, you know, the Springboks and being a rugby fan as well. I don't really remember it that well, but after you mentioned it earlier, I was, I was thinking that actually was, was such a big change for, you know, I guess rugby specifically, but also just sport in general. You know the fact. Yeah, that it... but the thing is, yeah, I mean, the other side of that, and you know, yeah, fifteen-year-old me was naive and had an idealistic view of the world, and so that was such an incredible story. But then revisiting that, you know, as an older and wiser me, hopefully, um, mm -hmm. it, there's more than that side to the story. You know, um, yeah. like to many Black South Africans, the Springboks kind of. And, and rugby in general continue to sort of represent apartheid and the apartheid yeah. regime. Like, and, you know, the, what happened in 95 showed how strong a symbol can be, I think, and sort of symbolic, metaphorical change uh, and a, a metaphor for sort of the reuniting of a nation or... or mm racial reconciliation but the reality of it is that you know there are still many many people like suffering from the aftermath of those racial inequalities and injustices that continue to to have an effect on people in south africa yeah and it, it would be sort of inaccurate and probably unjust to say that um you know that that rugby team and that rugby world cup in 95 changed south africa um because yeah, yeah i mean it's, it's a massive as that. metaphor for racial reconciliation but it, it, you look at the reality of it like that team had one black player yeah and in 2019 when when they won the world cup again when the springboks won again they had just six black players um mm. you know it's still a predominantly 
white sport in in South Africa. Um, So I don't know, like mixed feelings about it and, and, you know, looking at it now, um, you know, Mandela's efforts to kind of use use the Springboks and use rugby to bring together the nation and Mm. kind of healed heal the wounds from apartheid i mean that was quite a like a symbolic achievement you know but yeah. there's there's the world beyond that do you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean i i guess i guess you know from what i take from that is that it's it's a starting point like okay it's not where it where it wants to be and it it it's kind of a shame that it that that even happens in the first place but i guess you know it kick started somewhat of a thought mm. process where people actually thought like yeah actually this isn't okay even people that previously might have thought no that's fine you know yeah. actually shone yeah. a light on okay shit actually this is a problem um and I'm not excusing behaviors at all. Like, a, a, you know, I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying as excusing behaviors because, again, that's still not okay. But, you know, there are going to be certain people in everyday life that potentially are naive or ignorant to the fact that this this stuff happens on a daily basis. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, to kind of follow up on your story, one thing that sticks up in my mind, you know, you're a rugby fan uh i'm very much an american football fan and like the kobe steelers i love the kobe steelers dude that (laughs) joke never gets old (laughs) (laughs) um and i remember back in 2016 when um the black lives matter movement was you know at it well not necessarily at its peak but it was starting to gain a lot of traction um and i remember uh watching an interview with um the person who kind of kicked it off really in the first place in the nfl was colin kaepernick who was um at the time uh an nfl quarterback for the 49ers um is no longer a quarterback for the 49ers subsequently because of the actions that he took and the actions that the nfl which is the national governing body of of the football league took um but what it did do is it kind of shone a light on the fact that, you know, people originally thought that Colin Kaepernick was being disrespectful by actually sitting down and, and taking a knee. Um, to the anthem, was it? It was to the anthem, to the flag, to the United States. Yeah. Um, and to be honest with you, like, I can understand where people might have got that impression from. You know, you're sitting down in a national anthem it might show some disrespect, especially when everyone else is stood up and singing as a lot of Americans do. They're very proud to be American. Um, rightly so. If they're from that country, they should be proud that they're American. But at the same time, people can be entitled to their opinion. And what I found was really interesting was that um there was a former Green Beret. I can't remember what team he played for, but uh, it's Nate Boyer. And I remember that he kind of called out his action. This is really, this really stuck out in my mind. And he actually suggested to Colin Kaepernick, you know, after having a conversation with him and, and Colin, uh, Colin Kaepernick saying like, 
no, I'm not disrespecting the nation. I'm not disrespecting the flag. I'm not disrespecting the anthem. All I'm doing is I'm trying to shine a light on the fact that this country, since its inception, has been and probably will continue to be, if things don't change, deeply rooted in racism. And after having that conversation with Nate Boyer, who was a former Green Beret, you know, he served in the army. He he actually was the one that suggested to Kaepernick to, rather than sitting down, taking a knee after having, you know, that conversation and, and um, you know, sort of realizing like, actually this guy is standing for something that all of us should be stood for, you know, no racism in sports. And it wasn't just racism in sports. I think it was also the fact that um, uh, two black kids got shot by the hands of the police. I think it was Michael Brown. I remember, I cannot remember the second for the life of me, um, but I do definitely remember, you know, Michael Brown sticking out of my mind. Um, and holy shit, like this took the internet by storm. Like, I'm pretty sure that even if you didn't know about American football, you would have heard about this. Um, you know, even Donald Trump at the time was the president got involved. Um, oh, yeah, he hated it, didn't he? Yeah, he absolutely hated it, you know, and, and it got to the point where, you know, they were getting sort of... Um, Roger Goodall, who's the commissioner of the NFL, they were basically saying to him, you know, like, oh, you need to pull these people out of, if people take the knee, they can't play for our country. You know, yeah. if, pe if people yeah. stand, that's basically like saying, if people stand up for what they believe in, they can't, they can't do their sport, mm -hmm. you know? So they were sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, anyway, I guess it sort of transpired that, it, it it was a problem and it has been a problem, you know, I guess since, since the inception of, of America. Um, and Roger Goodall eventually uh, released a statement, basically uh, apologizing to the NFL, to the players, to the fans, to the league, um, because they previously tried to ban people from taking the knee. Um, and yeah. after NFL players actually took it to Washington, D.C., not uh, Dover Castle. I'm talking about the actual DC. Uh, <laughs> you know, they actually sat down with politicians and they tried to discuss, you know, what, why were they taking the knee? And more importantly, okay, they've now shown this social injustice. What can, what can they do about it? Which is, which was really the important thing. And that, that was the main reason as to why they started taking the knee in the first place was yeah. to actually kickstart uh, guys, listen to what we're telling you. You know, this is, we're not making this shit up. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's really what stuck out in my mind. And I think, yeah, yeah. and it still does to this day, you know, people say, oh, do you remember when Colin Kaepernick took the knee and people might say, oh, that was silly, wasn't it? And I'm like, no, that wasn't silly at all. You know, you might've thought it was because that's based on your opinion, but listen to all the facts. You know, there's far more, information than what people realize um i think yeah i mean it, it's it's a really good example like uh, and it shows that these things are big symbols aren't they and they're like sort of symbolic signs of of social change or symbolic sort of signs of unity or signs of like um support for movements and things like that and it goes to show again, like we were saying, how 
bigger platform these yeah. these athletes and these sports have uh, in kind of sharing these symbols yeah i think it's dangerous then to if that's where it ends you know and that, that goes beyond it's sports anyway, like yeah. you know it's like clapping for the nhs um yeah. and that was that was it that was that was a symbol and that was a show of solidarity for key workers blah blah and at the end nothing concrete came out of it in terms of support for for healthcare workers and things like that and, and you know we see that a lot you know i think it's it goes to show the the power that that sports has to sort of rile people up and 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 gain support through through symbols and through sort of these signs and shows of of solidarity or or, or movements, um, and like you say, it's probably just just the first step. I mean, the whole yeah whole Olympic movement is a symbol, isn't it? Um, and it's a fucking massive one. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Everyone knows what the Olympics is, and, and the whole idea that you know it's the unity and coming together of of every nation and every race, blah blah, and putting our differences aside for the shared shared interest and shared goals of of your sports and and of sport and competition in general. Um, yeah. And it's that's such an interesting for me. It's such an interesting um, sort of case study to look at uh, the Olympics and through the years, because in reality, I think a lot of a lot of um, what's happened in the Olympics and things like that has been quite a far cry from what they stand for. You know, in terms of. <laughs> being an equal playing field and putting aside our differences like a lot of actions that that athletes and countries have taken um, during the olympics and stuff like that have been quite contrary to that and to those values yeah um, i think sort of over patriotism um has been quite a quite a common theme in the olympics you know like causing more tension between between countries uh, yeah. um, uh, through through competition you know but then at the same time like we see photos of like north and south korean athletes on mm. the podium together like hugging each other um but then funny story like when i when i went to the asian games like it was again sort of big athletes village and all the all the athletes from all the different countries were there like together but it didn't it didn't mean that we all got on, you know. I mean, uh, I remember there was one day um, after our competition, I was just we were at the athletes' village, and I made it my goal to, you know, we collect the pins um, from all the different countries. Yeah, I made it my goal to like I was fucking stupid. This was in twenty eighteen. I made it my goal to collect a pin from a North Korean athlete. Okay. And yeah, yeah. so I was there having my lunch, you know, like having my chicken. And across the hall, I see a group of like North Korean athletes or yeah. a team and they're walking across and I kid you not, like it was so military, like they walked two by two with their heads down. They didn't speak to anyone. And 
Yeah, I saw my chance. I got up from my table, walked across the dining hall, and went up to these guys. And I was like, oh, can I have a pin? Yeah. And they looked at me and just didn't say anything. Mm. And then I, I got As far as they even looked to you, to be honest. I got my accreditation thing. I was like pointing at the pin. I was like, oh, pin? Do you have a pin? And then they just walked straight past me. like, And, you know, I think they were under really strict orders to... So, you know, not talk to anyone and, and not sort of integrate. And that's reality of it. Like, yeah, man. Um, you know, there's there's still things that get in the way of the values that we hold. Um, and the values that sports holds and the Olympics hold, you know, and and and, and we've touched on these things before, like as well, with with entire countries and systems getting involved with doping of their own athletes and things like that and yeah you know that's not in line with with the olympic spirit you know no exactly and i mean you know the olympic spirit like i, I kind of want to share a, a sort of story on that as well which i'm glad you brought up because i was sort of a not necessarily afraid to kind of touch on this point but like you know it's it's yeah, quite close about to... the russians aren't we not necessarily in in a roundabout way and i i will get there eventually but <laughs> You know, so first of all, you know, the Olympic values are excellence, respect and friendship. You know, the three core values of 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 Olympism, as it were, and the kind of main focus of the Olympic Games. Right. And I, it's quite I don't know, it just kind of not necessarily makes me laugh. It's probably not the right word to say, but for me, just over the last couple of months um, really sort of demonstrates like, okay, I get what they're trying to stand for, but how are they actually, how are they actually um, trying to achieve those values? Um, you know, I get that it's the, it is the responsibility of the athletes, but there's only so much athletes can do outside of what the national governing body and, you know, the people that kind of run, this world um so talking about excellence right if if we talk about what excellence means doing your best that you can on the field of play or in professional life um and the fact that it's not necessarily about winning but it's about taking part you know i remember hearing a story um from one of my good friends who is who was a weightlifting coach um and he was telling me about you know, when the Soviet Union was <clears throat> still or was still uh, a part or a regime, I guess, um, and how, you know, sport for them was was not necessarily about having fun. It was about them being the best in the world, not about sport. It was about them being about the best in the world, not in sport. Yeah. And so yeah, if, the best. if sport is about not winning, but taking part, and yet sport continually proves that it's not about the taking part. It's about, yeah, it's about who is the strongest country on the podium. Yeah. And, you know, not in every sport. Right. And I'm just kind of picking apart the values here just to demonstrate the point that I want to make that for us, you know, at least for me being a very amateur athlete and being involved at the, I guess you could consider at the grassroots level, you know, I'm not on an organizing committee. I'm not part of the IOC. I don't have a big say, but what I can do is I can play my part in 
in making sure that the important thing is not about winning, but it's about taking part, about making progress and enjoying, you know, the, what you can do rather than forcing my agenda upon someone else. Um, yeah. Going to the second value, right? Respect. Okay. Now, as far as I have kind of gone through my journey in sports and coaching, I've noticed that actually people and sportsmen generally tend to have a lot of respect for each other, whether it be for like the rules and regulations of the sport. And I know that we've just done a podcast on doping, but we're not going to go there today um, because that, <laughs> you know, but also kind of the environment and the recognition of like where people come from. In the last couple of podcasts, we spoke about the fact that it, you know, we, when we talk about having accessibility in sport, um, the argument is, well, what happens if someone comes from a impoverished country and they're trying to compete against people who are, you know, paid well to do sport and yet they're still at the same level. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, preserving that kind of human dignity and, and demonstrating respect between athletes is, is super important. The last thing I guess is friendship, which sounds kind of cheesy, um, well, but it's easy, it's easy to forget right? Yeah. You know, the fact that sport is an instrument for mutual understanding between individuals mm. and across everyone in the world. The fact that, okay, maybe not in the past, but at least now it does allow people from any walk of life to play sport. Um, yeah. Which brings me on to my main point. I know that that was a very long-winded introduction. I remember I your interest, bro. They are, mate. I know. I realize I just freaking <laughs> waffle, waffle, waffle. Um, brings me to my point of the friendship, right? Um, I know I've just said that that was uh, kind of cheesy, but I'm going to um, be a bit of a hypocrite here and say, actually, I think that's super important. And here's why. I remember sat freezing my ass off in Beijing um, in the opening ceremony and hearing Thomas Bach um, give his speech to everyone that was in the crowd. Um, and the bit that, that I, I actually have a, a video of it because I videoed the whole thing and I wanted to watch this back because I thought it'd be really pertinent um, in kind of our podcast. And the one thing that, that really stuck out in my mind was he mentioned in a fragile world where division, conflict and mistrust are on the rise, we show the world, yes, it is possible to be fierce rivals while at the same time living peacefully and respectfully together. This mm. is the mission of the Olympic Games, to bring us together in peaceful competition, building bridges, never erecting walls, and uniting humankind in all our diversity, so on and so forth. Um, lastly, he also mentioned, in the Olympic spirit of peace, I appeal to all the political authorities across the world, observe your commitment to the Olympic truce and give peace a chance. Two weeks after the Olympic Games finished, Russia invaded Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. And wow, I just... Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, you know, I was just like... Come it's, on, man. It's mental. <laughs> it's, honestly, it's just mental. Like, it kind of still gives me goosebumps talking about it because, you know, it's kind of one thing sort of watching on the TV and, and you know... Like you mentioned, you know, you saw you saw the Springboks on TV uh, in the World Cup, and that sticks out in your. Well, mind. no, I wasn't born then, but yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. 
uh i meant at a later date <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. so the replays yeah, the yeah. replays. um you know and it, i think it's just interesting that at the time you know russia and belarus were banned from competing at 2022 um and that was a decision that the ioc took um because of previous actions that they had had in terms of doping um yeah. and Two weeks later, they decide to go, okay, well, fuck this. We're just going to do what we want. Um, yeah, so I don't really have a point. There were, loads of, there were loads of um, like Russian athletes, especially at the Winter Olympics. Like They do a lot of winter sports, don't they? Like, they, they sweep yeah. up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was a big deal. Um, it, was, it was a very big deal. And I guess kind of going on to your point about North Korea as well, um, you know, they were also banned from competing um mm. in beijing um and what's funny or not funny but north korea turned around and said well that's fine because we're not sending any athletes or officials anyway <laughs> and you're like well <laughs> yeah that doesn't really matter all. because you're banned so yeah um so i guess i guess my point is you know there's always two sides to the coin the, the coin of like people wanting equality and diversity and kind of openness and social justice um, and then the other side of the coin kind of going, oh, no, sorry, you can't compete with us. And mm. Tim, you know, you mentioned this yeah, yeah. You know, a while ago that Tim brought this up, that it's all well and good, you know, when people are having fun and they're friends playing sport. But who gets to decide when we're not friends and who can't play sport? Yeah. You know, where do you draw yeah, the no, line? He, yeah, what is, yeah, I remember him saying, like, we can't just play with, the people we want to play with that's exactly what he said exactly what he said yeah um so i don't really know where i went with that but i kind of just wanted to share a little story and just sort of you know yeah i don't really know just it was quite interesting uh, yeah it's it's it kind of because i bet you were like inspired you know at that speech weren't you like you you sat there going like wow that's that's amazing like all these, all these nations coming together and and you know getting involved with peaceful competition, you know. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, we still see it, like you know, uh, say like rugby games when you spend um, eighty minutes like bashing each other's teeth out and then shake hands at the end. Yeah. You know, and and just from personal experience, like the sort of in my sport, like the eventing community is one of the most sort of fun welcoming community that I've I've been in and, and I feel very lucky to be a part of it mm. um and you know there's 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 things in in our sport like people trying to sort of use their platform and and you know their audience to push sort of social messages as well and stuff like that which I think is extremely positive um and just kind of doing doing their bit and like doing what we can do to kind of make a little change you know yeah um but i mean it goes to show like and again we keep going back to this sort of these these symbols and and what these sort of metaphors that athletes and sports in general have massive platforms to to push forward and and, and to show everyone um mm. 
And I think that brings out a lot of good in people. Um, it also brings out a lot of bad in people. This is weird. Like, I mean, yeah. we, we see a lot of that, you know, the, I, I know people who say that they think sports is stupid and, and sports is, mm. yeah, it's like a really dumb construct construct and one of the biggest reasons for that is because there are so many examples of people being fucking dicks in the name of sports (laughs) (laughs) um i had you know i had someone someone um like someone who was really close to me actually like we just really disagreed on this um and she like hated sports in general and she thought that Mm -hmm. um it was like sports fans were were stupid and 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 this was mainly aimed towards i think football fans like like soccer fans um Mm -hmm. and i mean we see that a lot like there's a lot of sort of we call it like football hooligans like and but like violence at football matches and stuff like that and i don't understand i don't know why that is but and especially this year you know there's, there's an increase in arrests by 47% at football matches and a 36% increase in reports of disorder at these matches, you know, um, transgressions like, you know, starting fights and throwing stuff and, you know, throwing their their beer and stuff like that and, and just acting in a way that in general is aggressive and violent. And, and I mean, and, and, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, like last month, there was one of the biggest football match tragedies in the, in, in history, I think, in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 120, yeah, 125 people died at this football match in Indonesia after people were rioting in the in the crowds, and then the police came and threw threw tear gas and and had the riot police come in and and yeah, 125 people killed, 360 injured at this one football match and it's it's one of the world's worst ever sports stadium disasters you know um and that's you know that's in the in the name of sports as well and that was in the context of of sports where people you know ideally should be just going there and and enjoying the entertainment and having a good time like why why does this why does sports bring out this side of of people and you know, like what? Yeah, what's going on, man? Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, we spoke about it a little bit before we came on about you know people always talk that football is a is a is a contact sport, and you know it is it is a contact sport in the context of being a contact sport. Contact sport. Then why don't people riot and why aren't there hooligans in in American football, rugby, and UFC? you know, you can still have the same argument that, okay, I had a friend who told me, oh yeah, but you know, football is a contact sport. So, you know, where people are going to support their team and they live and die by their team. And I'm like, but dude, that's like saying that if someone goes to a boxing match and watches, I don't know, Mike, Mike Tyson or whoever, let's say Tyson Fury, right? Because he's, he's in the news a lot. Let's say you go to watch a Tyson Fury yeah, fight. Tyson's old news. Yeah, he is old news. Um, I mean, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> he probably still beat the shit out of us. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hope he doesn't. Mike, if you're listening, I still, uh, yeah, we're still a good fighter. 
But okay, that guy bit a guy's ear to win a match. Just saying. That's very Again, true. Bringing out the worst in people. But anyway, continue. Yeah, that's very <laughs> true. Um, you know, let's say you're going to watch a Tyson. Let's say you're going to watch Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Right. That's a good match. It will be a good matchup. Um, does that mean that, let's say, for example, you're a Tyson Fury fan and you're not uh, an Anthony Joshua fan, you're just going to go there and fight because you, your team loses? Because you're, <laughs> sorry, not because your team loses, because your fighter loses. Like, it just doesn't happen. At least to my knowledge, it doesn't happen. So, like, why? Why is it so pertinent i've used that word twice in this podcast but i feel like it's one of my new favorite words now why is it so oh here's a new one why is it so prevalent it's because i learned it today (laughs) why (laughs) why is it so prevalent in football um and kind of where i don't even know where it even started you know i I, we've also i mean i you've seen the movie green street right one of my favorite movies no you've never seen green street (laughs) I've not seen Green Street. Dude. Okay. <clears throat> so after this, you need to go watch Green Street. Um, it's about uh football hooliganism in England. It's got Elijah Wood in it as well. Frodo's in it. Yes. Frodo is in this. Man a liar. And um, yeah, it's it's it it is a great movie. It, I know it is about football hooliganism, but it's it's quite interesting because it kind of gives you not necessarily like an in-depth um, overview of, of what football hooliganism is, but it does definitely give you an idea of like why people might, why people might uh, go into the kind of ideology of that, like, you know, they have to kind of fight for their club and it's mm. not just about the sport. Um, I still don't understand. I I still think it's a very entertaining movie. I know that people didn't rate it very highly, but I think it might just be because it's set in England. And I'm not singling out UK or British um, hooliganism because it happens, you know, I'm sure it probably happens all over the world, Um, especially in football. But my question is, why does it happen so much in football? And not in other sports. I think, you know, it. part of it is, you know, I think one way to look at it is it's it's, a, it's almost a form of extremism, you know? Mm. Um, and this, it's a form of a group with a shared identity. Mm. And, and, you know, that, and that goes beyond football. It goes beyond sport. You know, you see that in, I don't know, in politics, when you have sort of an extreme view on something and, and there's, and, and you're all, it's almost like a religion, like religion, um, or even like, yeah, groups of this sort of shared, strong, unique identity, like ravers, <laughs> um, yeah. or, 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 ex- or like extremism in religion or, um, you know, people who are extremely patriotic, even like chauvinistic, um, those all kind of transcend reason. Like, yeah, there's no, there's no kind of logic behind it. It's just this sort of extreme community that you're in. And I feel like a football team is a form of that. 
or can be a form of that. And I don't know why necessarily football in particular, but there are probably aspects of, of it, of this kind of team culture, and the, the culture in the sport that almost, almost encourage it, you know, encourage yeah. this kind of getting behind your team and, and supporting your team. And, and it's like going to war, you know? Um, and, you know, going to war is pretty, pretty violent. Um, I, it's um, funny you bring that up actually, just to quickly interject. I remember whenever I was playing rugby. So my old rugby coach was the uh, hooker. At, <laughs> that sounds out of context. That sounds really bad, but he was the hooker at Leeds, uh, Leeds Rhinos. So, you know, he nice. was a pretty hard dude. Um, and every time that we'd go and play a rugby game, he'd be like, lads, we're going to fucking war. All right. We're not here to play rugby. We're here to fucking have a fight. And I just remember it was just so aggressive. You know, like, I don't know, it's just a bit strange. But then no one fought. Obviously, we had a couple of scuffs in the pitch and whatever. But, yeah, it's just an interesting point that you bring up. Um, mm. One thing that's actually just jogged my memory whilst you were talking there was I remember actually having a conversation with, I'm pretty sure that it was my uncle's dad. Um, he's a massive Magpies fan. Right. So he's he was working class um, in the north of England, up in Newcastle um, back in like the 90s. Hold on. Hold on. Sorry. Isn't your <laughs> uncle's dad just your granddad? My uncle's dad? No. My uncle's dad is my granddad, is it? Oh, yeah, it is. I just, I, I was saying my uncle's dad and I was like, wait a sec, that makes that my granddad because it's also it my also dad's dad. dad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, gosh. This is meant uh, to be an intelligent podcast. I know. I what know. have we done? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember having a conversation with <laughs> so my granddad, um, but it wasn't... <laughs> Completely okay, lost the topic. So he was working <laughs> class from Newcastle, kind of born in like the 1960s. Um, and I remember actually having a conversation about, um, funnily enough, the movie Green Street and hooliganism. And he, you know, probably didn't know anything about sociology or, you know, social injustice or whatever it might be. But he, I remember him mentioning to me that actually he thinks one of the reasons why football gets such a bad name for kind of hooliganism is that because football's origins mainly point towards like working class Britain. Whereas mm. if you look at say like rugby, you know, a lot of people who play rugby more often than not will likely Stuck up come, private school boys will likely come from private schools. Um, you know, and I think that kind of just, sort of adds to the point that okay if they come from working class um you know britain but then the argument is but that's like saying that everyone that comes from working class places are going to be linked with aggressive and disorderly behavior which certainly isn't you know the, the conversation that we're having but i think what he was trying to point out was that you know people who are potentially live kind of in poverty um or they have to sort of defend themselves on a daily basis, right? If you live in yeah. somewhere like 
Greenwich or you live in somewhere that's slightly less nice than Greenwich, you're probably more often than not going to have to stick up for yourself, probably going to have to be careful where you go um, and so on and so forth. So I guess it, it sort of like interweaved itself into football that like, you know, these working class, um, these working class teams were linked to aggressive and disorderly behavior. And I guess it kind of rose from there. I don't really know, you know, uh, without, I'm not, I'm not a sociologist. I wouldn't be able to tell you where that came from. And actually I'd be interested if someone did know where it came from. Um, yeah. But I mean, the converse is also untrue. Like that, you know, your stuck up private school boys don't get violent. Cause I mean, <laughs> Well, I'm like half a pint in. These guys are the rowdiest bunch I've seen. They have no respect. And the amount of care that they take, like, it's insane. Uh, so definitely not exclusive to the working class fans of sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, right, changing the tune a little bit. Um, one thing that popped into my mind when we were kind of wanting to discuss kind of like social change um, was the Invictus Games. And I know a lot of people might not know about the Invictus Games. I don't even know why I brought this up, but it just kind of popped into my mind whilst we were talking about it. And I guess it's kind of like another side to giving um, people who potentially might not have the opportunity to play sport an opportunity to actually compete at a world stage you know, and actually have the support they want. So for, for those that don't know, uh, the Invictus Games was founded by uh, the Duke of Sussex, Ari, as we know him. Um, as, a... as a. And it's like an international kind of multi-sport event. Um, I don't remember. I think it was like back in maybe 2015 when it started, 2014, 2015. Um, I actually remember going to watch some of the events because it was started in London. And... It's basically uh, an international multi-sport event for wounded, injured, uh, and sick kind of service men and women um, who have served in the armed forces. Uh, and I just I thought it was I thought it was quite interesting to bring up because it kind of you know I get that it's not just about uh, Black Lives Matter or about the apartheid and so on and so forth, but it does also kind of turn ahead on the fact that there's also things like disability right movements or inclusion or mm. normalization, you know, things that people, it, I guess you could pro- maybe consider it less mainstream. Mm. Um, you know, I, I hate to use that word, but it's true that, you know, there are some social injustices that are far more mainstream um, than, than others are. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. So I guess my point is, um, yeah, I just think it's quite nice that the idea behind it was that it could sort of shone a light on, you know, it's not just about these mainstream social issues. Um, it's also actually being able to provide a space where mm. athletes can compete. Um, where that's things- that's, yeah, that's interesting. And it's, yeah, I mean, we talk about sort of opportunity and inclusivity, like 
it's at the end of the day it's all providing the space like mm. for for anyone for for like all kinds of people like people from all walks of life to to compete in sport um i had a very i want to say interesting conversation interesting is quite loosely with someone um and, would, and he basically said like and, and i was shocked um but he said that sort of disabled people shouldn't play sports wow <laughs> um uh, i mean in a nutshell that's what he said like disabled people should play sports like um his justification for it was kind of weird it was like um the the disabled people who kind of make it to the paralympics like um was were were the ones who were well off you know were the ones who who could afford to get there whereas the quote-unquote real disabled people <laughs> could get even just repeating this like this is disgusting man, yeah, but like but... um you know real disabled people couldn't get there he didn't say disabled he used none on the word but i'm not gonna say that yeah, up yeah. here but um and he was like other other than oh the invictus games because those guys like those guys went to war like they there's a reason they're disabled did he actually I mean, that say is... that this is weird. This is just strange reason. Please tell me you're, like, you're still not friends with this person. I can tell you who it is later. Okay, thanks. Okay. Uh, um, do you know what's actually interesting? That you know, the point that you bring up is that you know, you you literally just mentioned that he didn't call them disabled, he called them something else. And I think what's interesting is that you understand the difference between okay knowing what that is and knowing how in just saying something like that is to someone who is disabled but you know that that you just don't fucking do that you don't say stuff like that mm. you know and i just find it baffling how some people still think that using words or derogatory terms or um you know uh, not including certain yeah, types really of people. Yeah, really like bigoted views. Yeah, it's just, it. honestly, it just baffles me as to like where it comes from. I know well, that we've kind what? of like completely a, gone and, off topic. And I, so, you know, the thing is though, like I, I, I think you would probably agree, like a lot of athletes like have views like these, like slightly bigoted um, mm. views and I was thinking about this earlier today, actually, um, you know, when we talked about uh, doing this topic, um, but I think a lot of sports uh, and the kind of sporting community or the idea even like of sports almost in many ways pushes this kind of right wing libertarian ideal of, you know, mm -hmm. no matter where you come from, what you have, you just work hard and you win you know which yeah isn't this is this is this concept that's like fed to people um yeah and fed to like athletes fed to sports fans fed to kids you know who who are in sports all you have to do is work hard and you'll succeed yeah yeah but the reality is that's not true you know that's not and i, I mean i not really scared to share this part of my politics on here the fact that like 
I strongly believe that that's not true because people have more than other people and people have less than other people. Like the starting point is different. It's not a level playing field. Like two people can work equally as hard and end up at very different places mm -hmm. um, without, you know, the same resources and opportunities. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just really interesting to look at the sort of microcosm of sport as it were, you know, and almost, it's almost a reflection on society. Like it works both ways, I think, um, you know, sports and the sporting community has an impact on, on society and social change and so on and so forth. And able to sort of provide a platform to push these messages and these symbols and things like this. But at the same time, like the people in sports and the communities and sports that we see are also a reflection of of society as a whole do you know what, do you know what i'm trying to say yeah and it's also a reflection on you know the coach or the parents who kind of push those agendas on the children and on those those adults because yes i get that you know people formulate their own opinion but surely those opinions will have been formulated by the environment that they've been brought into, mm. you know, and I think yeah. it, it kind of, you know, kind of touching on your subject as well. And I, I do agree with you that, you know, I was told this at school, like if you want something and you work hard enough for it, you'll get it, which is inspiring, mm. you know, is very inspiring, but at the, on the flip side, I agree that just isn't true. You know, yeah. on the surface, it might be, you know, oh, you work hard. I mean, it's a good, achieve. it's a very, very, don't get me wrong. Like it's an extremely good piece of self-help. Of course. Yeah. Like I course. live by it in my personal life, you know, like. Yeah. But then yeah. also, yeah. Yeah. But then, but then also, you know, we are lucky enough to have given a pretty good start in life. You know, yeah, there's been difficulties, so, and, but yeah, it's easy enough for people to say to me, like, if you work hard, you can achieve everything. Like, great, thanks. But saying that to someone who maybe didn't have a good a start as we did, it's just not true. Yeah. Unless they're given the support and they're given the resources to, to help. Maybe they get lucky, but that's completely different. That's not just working hard. You know, I think yeah. we mentioned about this that, you know, you create your own luck. And I do very much agree on that. But at the same time, I do think there is an element of you, you do have to be, you do have to have had that environment to have fostered. Oh, 100%. Um, 100%. Like being in the right place at the right time plays yeah. a massive role. And, you know, like, and actually we see a lot of positive things come out of, of this sort of uh, concept of, you know, like, like you say, you, it doesn't really make sense to go to someone who lives in a slum and can't afford three meals a day and is impoverished and say like, you know, if you want to be a top sprinter, you just have to work hard. Yeah. That was kind of dumb, but <laughs> at the same time, like yeah. you go to these communities, it's really interesting. Like, cause I, 
I spent a bit of time traveling and I spent <clears throat> sort of three months in India and a couple of months in the Philippines and things like that. And we, we part of it was like we were working with alongside a charity and we like went to these sort of uh communities in poverty and, and the kids loved certain sports like in the Philippines, like basketball is massive, you know. Mm. Um and like India, like all these kids like would play cricket um just out of like makeshift stumps and things like that like on the streets and and they loved sports and it was like a form of escape escapism for them you know and, and it's a form of like yeah like i suppose whatever their environment is and whatever their reality is like they can play a game and yeah. there there are organizations now like you know obviously we had equity sport on before and then things like um sport for social change in in i think in west africa um these kind of ngos that give people that platform to do that to play a game and use that for good you know use that to be able to open doors for opportunities open doors for jobs in the industry and provide like provide for their family and provide for their community and give back to their community through doing something that they love and that's i think for me like ultimately that's the the real power of, of sports yeah yeah is being in a position of responsibility and and giving back um i think you said that like perfectly i i i don't know if i'd be able to add more to give it justice um i guess to kind of round this off you know we've spoken a lot about what social change can be, how intertwined social sport is, how so, how intertwined social changes and sport kind of examples that we've given. And, you know, I guess as a takeaway, what what sort of things can like, do you think people can do to sort of, you know, actually be involved in social change, whether it be as a coach myself, you know, mm. you know, you kind of mentioned it there about environment and, 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 me saying my rugby coach telling me that when I was playing a rugby game, we're going to war. You know, yeah. I think it's really yeah. important as a coach and as a role model to actually realize how powerful your words and actions can be to, oh, yeah. that are, you know, within your circle. I am very blessed to have had very good mentors. And I speak about this all the time about how the people around you will dictate how successful you are. Mm. And I firmly, firmly believe that, you know, the people that I have around me are the reason as to why I am where I am and why I'm successful, at least my definition of success. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, you know, how, how do you, you know, what, I guess, how can people kind of get involved in social change? What do you think that they can do? And whose responsibility? I mean, to you know, it it, well, you summed up pretty well, to be honest, like, um, we all kind of have that power in our own roles and therefore the responsibility um, yes. within our own roles to push certain messages and, and, you know, like lead by example or live by example. And, and some of us will have bigger platforms than others. Like some of us will have more influence on people than others, but at the end of the day, like it's the everyday stuff, you know, like you say, um, we're not, we're playing a game. We're not going to war. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not trying to kill anyone. Um, yeah. And then I suppose um, it, it's, it's a big 
it's important to, to be involved with and and to be at least aware of of ways in which you can help you know like whether you're an athlete or a coach or, or a fan of, of a sport like mm-hmm. how we're able to quite easily and accessible accessibly use our sports to 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 help and to impact the greater community like you know some organizations that we mentioned earlier um with uh unfortunately equity sport is no longer around but um sport for social change uh and there's there's stuff within specific sports you know like um for 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 me you know in equestrian there's if anyone is interested there's things like like, you know community centers and things like the ebony horse club as well as there's organizations like cool riding and stuff like that and it's in brixton (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean i think awareness and and just being more aware and, and being someone involved in sport you know understanding that sports is in many ways a reflection of of the 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 greater society and and so yeah live by example live by example and on that guys we hope that you enjoyed this podcast um we hope you did it too long was that like two hours no No, I don't think it was that long. I actually thought it was going to be a lot longer, but I'm glad that we managed to keep it somewhat succinct. And where's all these big words coming from? It's like I've read a dictionary today. What's going on? I think you're looking for thesaurus. Thesaurus. (laughs) Oh, yeah, thesaurus, yeah. God, I'm not as clever as I think. Uh, (laughs) But, guys, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Um. We hope we did it justice. We hope we did it social justice. That was sure, oh, man. I was about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your support. Uh, this is going to be episode 31, so we're past the 30 episode mark. Um, yeah, I don't have any much more to say. We'll That's catch you mad. on the next one. Love. Peace and prosperity. So, Yushuan, do you want to plug where people can find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcast.